Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On, the penis edition. Seriously, something different today, friends. Georgian Chopin is the executive director of Intact America. So the other night in the Grammys, Trevor Noah made a joke about Prince Harry's frozen penis. Prince Harry, in his book Spare, wrote about his frozen penis and, in a separate story, the fact that many years earlier, before he froze his penis, he was circumcised. That news got a lot of people talking. And I must say, and I must say I did not understand why until I was introduced to George Ann Chopin. George Ann's subject matter makes me so uncomfortable because I've never spoken about it before. But I've never had a more appreciative guest. And I don't think I've ever had a more passionate guest. She's a lawyer with a background in healthcare and anthropology. And for many years, she's been advocating for the end of circumcision. Well, well, let me just first say thank you so much for having me on your show. Uh, there's so much that people don't know about circumcision and foreskin, although they're fascinated with the topics. And I'm really happy to be able to talk about, uh, talk about this on your show. So um, what I found the most surprising was how fascinating the topic was to Americans, because unlike in England, circumcision is normalized in the United States. In England, it, it happened historically, but then it pretty much stopped in the 1940s. So uh, Prince Harry being circumcised is, is somewhat remarkable. Of course, we don't really know who's circumcised and who's not unless we see it firsthand, but we sure are seeing lots of public discussion about circumcision and the foreskin, and that's a good thing. It is a good thing. I mean, Georgian, I've never thought about it in my entire life until he brought it up. And I thought, well, that's a weird thing to be talking about. Why is it unusual for this to happen in the UK, but not in the US? Well, they share a common history, but the US is the only developed country in the world that routinely circumcises baby boys in a medical setting. As I said, England had a, a similar history with the U.S. It started in the 19th century, but the U.S. Uh, continued, and England, the National Health Service in England in the 1940s, realized it was completely unnecessary and that it was a waste of, of medical resources, and they just simply stopped. Um, and the United States took off, and as you know, our, you know, in our medical system, it's different, and doctors get paid for every single thing they do, and we have uh, probably 75 to 80 percent of all adult men in this country are living without their natural, normal, pleasurable foreskins. Okay. It seems to me that you don't think that circumcision is a good idea. I absolutely think that keeping your child intact the way God or nature made him or her is the way to go. There's a reason that the foreskin is not extra. In. It's the most erogenous, the most sexually sensitive part of the male genitals. And the intact man and his partner <laughs> experience sex the way nature intended human beings to experience it. The foreskin is loaded with thousands of really special nerve endings called Meisner's corpuscles. They're found in other parts of the body, particularly the lip. And an intact man has um, a much more intense sexual experience because he's got 12 to 15 square inches of erogenous tissue that a cut man is missing. Oh, um, my goodness. Georgia, and I never thought I'd be having this conversation, but let me ask you this question. Who thought it was a good idea? And there must Somebody must have thought it was a good idea for some reason. So in Victorian countries, England, United States, Australia, New Zealand, parts of Canada, 
during the Victorian era, 1870s, masturbation was seen as being a terrible threat to public health and men's health, and they uh, rationalized that cutting off the foreskin would keep boys from from pleasuring themselves. And that's pretty much the history. They were wrong about that. They were. They were wrong. And of course, over time, other rationales, you know, other reasons for it surfaced. And really, um, it just took hold as a a custom. And uh, it was very prestigious uh, in the early part of the 20th century because it meant that you were born in a hospital and your mother gave birth with an obstetrician instead of at home with a midwife. And even now it carries some kind of idea that being intact is, you know, we, we had the lower classes were, you know, coming from Europe were not intact. They had their foreskins. And, but basically that's the history of it. Uh, but I'd, I'd like to go back to the purpose of the foreskin because this is what we want people to know that, you know, in, in addition to being erogenous and giving great sexual pleasure to both the man and his partner, it also protects the, the man's penis. It, uh, without the foreskin, the penis will, head of the penis will dry up and uh, lose, lose sensation itself. So really, men who have foreskins love their foreskins, uh, and, and there's a reason for that. And, and it makes sense if you think about the fact that the human body, very few of Actually, no body parts are there with no function at all. Even things we think don't have a function, we find out we find out that that they do. They're there for a reason. And then, in terms of of you know sexual pleasure, which of course keeps perpetuates the species, right? The foreskin and the vagina work together, uh, easing intercourse, providing lubrication, gliding action, uh, gives feedback to the man uh, about where he is on the path to climax and frequent complaint you hear from women in this country is that men are insensitive and pound them too hard during sex, and that is directly a result of the fact that American men are missing this very sensitive body part. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Aren't you glad you asked, Casey? (laughs) Well, there's a million things I want to say, but the first thing is it's hard for me to believe that circumcision came from solely a puritanical belief. I'm guessing there had to be some medical reason for this, no? Uh, nope. Uh, the only thing that, yes, well, I shouldn't be so flipped. Yes, but it was wrong. So uh, the early proponents of circumcision, who, as I said, were Victorian doctors, uh, had all kinds of claims for circumcision, that it cured mental illness or prevented mental illness, hip dysplasia, tuberculosis, all of these things that no one really knew where they came from. And no one knew, you know, what caused tuberculosis, right? So they had these kind of fantastical ideas of the miracles of, of circumcision. Of course, over time, we found them all to be false. But so, yes, there were pseudo-medical, pre-germ theory ideas of what, I mean, don't forget, you know, we used to bleed people. We used to do all kinds of things in the name of, of medicine that we've subsequently found were, were harmful and not helpful. Okay. And circumcision is, a, is an example of that. So how, Georgia Ann Chapin, did you get so fired up about this topic? Well, it's, it's uh, something I've been thinking about for actually most of my life since I witnessed um, the aftermath of the circumcision of a, of a baby born into my family. I remember in the, you know, later on hearing... People talk about how terrible female circumcision was, and I 
the first thing that came into my mind is, but well, we do that to all our boys here. Mm-hmm. It just always was something that struck me. And I have a background in anthropology. I'm also a lawyer. And I believe this is a human rights violation. And I think that it's really, people are, are thinking a lot about it and talking. And one reason I'm so grateful, you know, to have a chance to talk about this on your show, uh, Casey, this is, this is an issue of rights and bodily autonomy and also of, you know, health and sexual pleasure. It's, the genitals are, are, without the genitals uh, and the mouse, where, you know, the mouse intakes food and the genitals procreate, we wouldn't have a perpetuation of, of humankind. So I think it's so important to talk about this and, and make it a topic that's not, you know, embarrassing or, or titillating. I mean, this is, this is just really um, a basic health and human rights issue. Okay, Georgian. I'm not comfortable with it yet. But I'm giving you my full attention. Uh, Katie, you know what? what? Once you once you start thinking about it, you can't unthink it. So I really, really appreciate your questions and, and again, the opportunity to talk about it. It's a really important topic. I want to talk about the trauma. Is it traumatic? I've never seen it. You've seen it happen. Is it traumatic? Uh, it's painful. You know, keep in mind, utterly unnecessary. Painful, the pain, and, and there are complications. And there was a recent article out that showed that the complications are far more frequent and serious than, than we are led to believe. Don't forget, you're operating on a little tiny baby. You're taking a clamp or a scalpel and scissors, and you're ripping the foreskin from the head of the penis where it's attached in babies and young children. It loosens up during puberty, but it's attached. And cutting it off and imagine even if you can uh, manage the pain for an infant, which we didn't do for years, believing that, that babies didn't feel pain, which is pretty absurd. Every mother, every mother knows babies feel pain. Even if we dull the, the actual surgery, the pain of the actual surgery, the recovery period is a couple of weeks, and the baby is um, experiencing that kind of pain and discomfort. And then there's no doubt that infant experiences of pain and trauma are laid down somewhere in the brain. Uh, there's lots of literature about that. So it's foolish to think that because of, it's a preverbal trauma that it's not remembered somehow in the body and in, and in the brain. So, yes, it's, it's traumatic. We don't have any trouble believing that, that cutting a girl's genitals is harmful both in the short term and the long term, and it's, there's nothing different about cutting a boy's genitals. For the parents listening, do they have a choice when they have a... Baby in they the absolutely hospital? have a choice. Absolutely. They will be asked probably numerous times to sign a consent form from even even pre-pregnant. <laughs> There's an expectation or, or during, during the pregnancy. And then Intact America, I'm the founding executive director of Intact America, and we're online, intactamerica.org. And we've conducted numerous surveys, and we found that the average number of times uh, an expectant mom is asked whether she wants to circumcise her son uh, is nine times. And, and so, yes, there's a tremendous amount of pressure. However, women can and must say no. It's so unfortunate, though, that they're often asked when they're at their most vulnerable, either in labor or right after delivering the baby. But, yes, you are, you are given a choice. Uh, back in the 1950s and uh, 60s, you were not. The consent forms really were not common, but now they are. It, but, you know, people need to follow their instinct, which is why, am I, why is somebody trying to take a knife to my baby's private parts? And I really believe that most women are uncomfortable 
um, with that idea, but they, they, they're encouraged to push it aside uh, right. in the name of conformity, really. Well, every mom wants to do best for their child. Do you have sons? Do I, I have a son, yes. I do. And, I have uh, one son. I'm assuming he's not circumcised. That is correct. And what turned me into an activist was uh, when at the age of 18, kind of out of the blue, was a result of a discussion that had taken place at a family reunion, but I wasn't part of the discussion, um, he thanked me. And I realized that what I had originally thought was uh, a painful experience for a baby, that there was no reason to do that. It was just not right. That's when I'm I'm kind of embarrassed to say this because I should have known this. That's when I realized that. This was a life. This was a lifelong a decision with lifelong consequences. That cutting off a baby's foreskin meant that the man will live his entire life without that sensitive body part. And here was my 18-year-old son who was enjoying his foreskin and and said to me, you know, I never I never thank you and Dad for not having me circumcised. I want to thank you. Now, do um, his partners say to him, "Wow, never saw one like that before"? Well, I I don't talk to him about. All of that. Um, well, but, George Ann, you yes, have no I mean, trouble talking to me about all of this. No, I. But I don't. And, you know, I don't have long personal discussions with my son about his sex life. So, but yes, I know. And from the hundreds, if not thousands, of men that I've talked to, there are still American women who are uncomfortable because it's so unfamiliar to them. But as people become educated, they realize that that's a natural body part, and there's. To think that there's something wrong with with a sexual body part, you know, pe- people just change their perspective as they learn more and as they experience more. Let's so, let's go back to Princess Diana. Why did she choose it? There was sort of a myth out there, I think, that she had protected her sons from circumcision, and then when Harry came out with that revelation, there was a. I think that's one reason that it's been talked about. It was a surprise, but. I don't really know. I, I really don't know what you know what happened or or how. I know that the the skinny the rumors are that the royal family did it because it was prestigious, and that would have been you know back in the late nineteenth and early twentieth century, and maybe they kept it up as a as a custom. I really don't. I really don't know. But it's great that he that this sparked a lot of discussion because it gave people the opportunity to learn more about about the the natural male genitals. Okay, George Ann Chapin. And again, you can find out about this, your, your listeners, and thank you again so much for having me on. Intactamerica.org, we have lots and lots of information. We're also on Facebook. We have another site called circumcisiondebate.org, and that's a great site for people to go to who are just beginning to think about this. And it talks about why people, why and why not people choose to keep their children intact. It's got a lot of information. but And you can always contact us, contact me at info at intactamerica.org. You can sign up for our newsletter, or if you send me questions, if your listeners send me questions, we, we answer every email we get. Do you see a day when circumcision will be an antiquated practice, sort of looked Well, it's already an antiquated practice, but I do see the day when it will be far less frequent in America, as people really begin to learn and understand that foreskin is a great you know, greatly pleasurable, natural, healthy body part. So I do see the rate of circumcision um, going down as more and more people get this message. Is your husband circumcised? Uh, well, I'm, I'm not married right now. My, the father of my son was not. Um, he was from South America, where pretty much nobody except people who have had circumcision done for religious reasons. The sort of practice of circumcision is pretty much unheard of uh, throughout Latin America, Europe, non-Muslim Asia, 
including Japan. It's just simply not done. So the father of my son was not circumcised. And it's done for religious reasons in some places? Well, yes. I mean, circumcision is practiced by Jews and Muslims throughout the world. Although there, in, in the U.S., there's a movement, a significant movement in the Jewish community to keep their boys intact, which is, you know, a wonderful thing. Um, nobody, no baby has born having a religion, and, and you don't need your body altered in order to have a spiritual life. So that's a great trend. But yeah, Jews and Muslims throughout the world practice circumcision. Some of them, right. I appreciate the education. I appreciate your enthusiasm. And and you started, you founded Intact America? I, yeah, with a group of people who had been doing this work for, for decades, actually. Uh, we got together, and with the help of a private funder, we named and started Intact America. That was 2008. So I've been the executive director of Intact America for 15 years. And I also had a, a career as a healthcare executive. I've been a healthcare professional for many years, and, and then this is I see as a, as a health and human rights issue. That's Georgianne Chopin. Find out more at intactamerica.org. You've been listening to Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show. I'm Casey. Find me at caseysplace.com.